Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Welcome to the Kudzu Vine for May 30th, 2021. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Oh, good to have y'all both on tonight. Um, excited to have David Jonas of Political Wire come on. Uh, about two weeks ago, we had an issue with the time clock on the computer that I was running the board off of, but that has been corrected. And so we are excited to have David on, um, and he has had so many writings recently on Political Wire. He is, I mean, when he used to do the book they were publishing, Spitball, he would have a lot of writing, but he has just expanded that. I can't tell you how many times. And so we're going to cover what we can. Um, we know we can't do it all in, in 20 or 40 minutes even. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Until then, we're going to discuss topics of the day, and the first one is something that kind of has been unfolding for a week or two now. Um, With the mask mandates that um, are still at the Capitol level, because the fact that, in particular, a lot of House members, particularly Republicans, um, I don't have percentages on either, um, have not gotten vaccinated. They haven't removed the mask mandates. that would be one of the key reasons. And so whereas other places, the CDC says you can remove the mask mandates if you're vaccinated, um, a lot of the Republicans got upset. In particular, uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, and she compared uh, the continuation of mask mandates um, due to vaccinations to wearing a yellow star like was done in Nazi Germany to people of the Jewish religion back in Hitler's uh, reign, if you will. Um, she got a lot of criticism initially, but it took at least five days for a minority leader and Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, to publicly criticize her. And some Republicans have yet to do so. Let's talk about that part of this first until we get to people that apparently think Marjorie Green had something uh, profound to say, if you will. Uh, Catherine, um, your take on Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments. It's outrageous. She's just outrageous. I mean, it's uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. The comparison doesn't, number one, doesn't make any sense. And it it just... It's just outrageous and and demeaning and dismissive to the you know incredible suffering of so many people, millions of people um, during that time and and how you can how you can make that comparison, how any thoughtful uh, intelligent person can make such a comparison is beyond my understanding. Yes. Tim, um, I'm sure you're quite familiar with the um, comments, given your role as 14th Congressional Chair of the Democratic Party. Um, what was your take? And you may even have an official statement on our comments. Well, uh, for those listening tonight, although most of our audience, I'm sure, have seen her statements, I want to read exactly what she said so that people will know that we're not blowing this out of the water. She said, now this was on a podcast that she was being interviewed on on a network called Real America's Voice, and I quote, this woman, Pelosi she meant, is mentally ill. You know, we can look back in a time in history 
where people were told to wear a gold star, and they were definitely treated like second-class citizens, so much so that they were put in trains and taken to gas chambers in Nazi Germany. And this is exactly the type of abuse that Nancy Pelosi is talking about. This coming from a woman who, you know, called 9-11 and these school shootings hoaxes, uh, she said there were more people involved in the Las Vegas shooting. We know about the California wildfire statement and the Jewish space lasers. That's just classic QAnon stuff. And, you know, no one should be a member of the Congress of the United States who subscribes to this or says these things. Yeah, that that's uh, it's just so far out of bounds, um, you know what she says, and, and to me it has to go beyond just attention seeking. There's a lot of ways to get attention. I just really believe she thinks a lot of this. Um, Catherine, do you think it's attention seeking, or do you think it is she just is this far outside the mainstream? Oh, I think she's this far out, out of the mainstream. I think she. She thrives on attention also, but no, I think, I I mean, I think there's uh, something wrong with her that she believes these things. And the part I don't understand is, so who's getting, is it the people who are wearing the mask are being, um, are being compared to having to wear a yellow star or is it the people who aren't wearing a mask? I'm confused. Well, I, I, think she, I think she wants to be oppressed, um, and so therefore she is saying the non-vaccinated, the ones having to wear the mask, um, are, are the, the ones that are like the, the Jews in Nazi Germany. Um, you know, it, it's okay. crazy as that may be. Um, yeah, Tim, I'll tell you what I find is the scariest part of Marjorie Green. And it's something I don't think's been picked up on. I saw like um, uh, David, uh, I'm sorry, um, Eric Bolhard, of who we had on a few weeks ago, talking about how to cover people. I noticed Lowell Field had commented on it, who we have on the show too, about you know the way to cover Marjorie Taylor Greene, and you know do you give her this attention or do you not give her this attention? And living inside the district. I find the scariest part not whether or not they give her attention on these crazy kind of outlandish statements or any of these other crazy things she does. Like if she goes on and doesn't wear a mask and they find her, they, you know, drag her off the house floor, whatever she does, covering that or not covering that nationally is one thing. But to me, living inside the district, I've seen two articles recently that I find the scariest. And there are articles that probably had to be published. One I call an article. It's probably not really an article. One was, is every congressional district, or most every congressional district, I'm sure, in the nation, they have an art contest for that district. A young lady from Model High School in Rome, Georgia, won the art contest. Her art teacher, they honored her too. They had a picture of the representative Taylor Green and the student and the teacher rewarding the young lady for winning the art competition, which is something that happens. It happened before. It happened if we had a Democrat. It happened if we had a Republican. It happened if we had a mainstream candidate of either party or if it happened if we'd had a you know, person that loves lots of attention of other party. The second one was more of an article. There was a, a police officer from Calhoun, Georgia, who was um, a D.A.R.E. officer and later a school resource officer, really good guy, a a, a police officer of color that everybody loved in the the Calhoun community that knew him. Um, He died of COVID. It was sad what happened. And um, she gave a speech honoring his, his life and his work. And it's a speech that, once again, a Democrat would have given, a Republican would have given, a mainstream member, or an attention um. You know, someone wants all this attention like Marjorie Green would have given. 
And those articles were, are going to happen. And what are they going to do? They're going to normalize her in the district because people are going to say, oh, yeah, well, I know little so-and-so, and I just love her and her artwork. And I remember Officer, and, and I think a lot of him, and she's going to do more things like this. There may be some business that opens, and she recognizes it, and all these normal things a congressional representative does – and people are going to think that, oh, well, she's more normal than she seems. Tim, have you seen these kind of articles in the district? And what are your thoughts on what it will do to her reputation? Yeah, I've seen some, including up here where I live. And uh, basically, uh, you're right. They serve to normalize her within the confines of this district. You don't have to push buttons too hard to get people to like Republicans the way this district is strong. And uh, I've, I've seen people just glow about her, how she's fighting the communists and, and this sort of thing. And it's, and it's just all utter nonsense. Uh, I wonder, though, at the end of the day, if her own rhetoric and her own actions are going to drown out any goodwill that uh, she could build up otherwise. What do you think? Yeah, I don't. I would think that you know she wouldn't get the same goodwill that the average con- uh, congressional representative would get for these um, type of things. But who knows? Um, it's just going to be something to see. Catherine, you live outside the district, so you haven't seen these kind of articles, but I'm sure Congressman Lewis had these kind of articles that were written about him, and, and Representative Williams will have these kind of articles coming up. Um, how do you think those kind of things, when it comes from someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, would play in the district? Well, you know, I think it's, I think it's, it's really hard to – criticize the media, you know, the newspaper for covering that. Um, I mean, you have to think about the meaning, how meaningful it is to that young woman who got the art award. Um, While Marjorie Taylor Greene may be, you know, we think she's a lunatic and a lot of people do, but she is the, she is an elected member of Congress, and it, it is an honor, I, I, I mean, for a, for a, you know, teenager, however old she is, to be, you know, photographed with their congressperson, it's, it's you know, it's a memory, it's, it's just really hard to criticize that, and the other thing is, for um, newspapers in smaller communities, they're dying for content. You know, they don't have a million reporters out there looking for, you know, human interest stories. And this is a human interest story. So as much as I, I, I don't disagree with you that I think it does normalize her, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, but I also understand that the, the, the meaning behind it in a generic way um, so it's just it's it this is what happens. This is why elections matter. Yeah. Because no, and now I don't, we're gonna, Yeah. So Yeah, I don't I don't disagree that the the papers in the district should cover that. I mean they should because it is about that officer, it is about that art student. Um and you have to. I'm just saying that is an People didn't, I guess, think about that when you got somebody as controversial as her and um, what that looks like. Um, so, so right, just, that's why, that's why yeah. elections matter. Yeah. Well, you know, what is she doing for the district? That's a good that's question. That's a straightforward question. When she's out doing these victory tours all over the country or whatever they are with Matt Gates. Uh, and she's not doing her job in Congress. She's not even serving on any committees, thanks to her own big mouth. Uh, you know she can't have any influence 
with the leadership. So what is she doing for the district? Is she bringing any jobs to the district? Is she bringing any money into the district? What is she doing, you know, in her job for the district? She's too busy being a national figure. She's not even thinking about her district. Yeah, I would say next to nothing. If something happens, it's probably just a byproduct of what was going to happen without her. Um, she might even yeah. chase off a few jobs. I mean, even if somebody says, yeah, that's what I, I want to be outside yeah. of Atlanta in Georgia, and I'm going to be, say, 75 miles from Atlanta, they may go to Drew Ferguson's district, or they may go to um, Austin Scott's district. They may say, well, that way nobody identifies us with that clown show, because those two representatives, while they may vote 90% like her, they don't you know, come up with all this stuff about, you know, comparing wearing a mask to being a Jew in Nazi Germany. Well, let's hit on one more thing um, while we're talking about this. And there was a, a, a woman that owns a um, hat store. I take it it's a rather large hat store. I don't frequent a lot of hat stores, and certainly in Nashville I don't, called Hatworks, no O. Um, her first name was Gigi. I don't know her last name. I'm sure it's probably easy to find. And she um, thought what Marjorie Green said was just so powerful and wonderful that she um, produced stars that um, talked about not being vaccinated, and um, and it was the you know yellow star in the replica uh, of what Hitler created in Nazi Germany, and um, produced these I guess to sell patch you would I guess pin it on or sew it on or whatever. It says not vaccinated, in fact, and I guess she's got hers pinned on. And then she talks about ball caps coming later uh, with this nonsense. Um, Hopefully this thing will be the worst-selling product she's ever had. Um, But this thing got a national attention, and not in a good way. Uh, Stetson Hats, actually the CEO of Stetson Hats, and even I know enough to know that's a pretty big uh, cowboy hat manufacturer, said they will not sell their products in Hatworks uh, due to this um, stunt this lady's pulled. Tim, what's your take on this um, not-vaccinated yellow star that Hatworks in uh, Nashville has created? Yeah, it's my understanding, by the way, the first run of patches comes with Velcro to just stick it on yourself. Oh, boy. Uh, But... As much as she might admire someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene or or anyone in that vein or believe any of that stuff, she's a business person first. She actually thought this would be a good idea, and and she was actually shocked at the reaction. She, and, of course, the media, as soon as they heard about it, they went running out there to see her. And she was not happy to see them. She didn't expect any of this. And she owns a large business in a tourist destination like Nashville. What, what, what is she thinking? That's what I'd like to ask her. What in the world were you thinking? How could you think? that this is a good idea when those stars that you design look exactly like the stars that the Jews had to wear in much of continental Europe in the 1930s and 1940s. How how could you even think this would be a good idea? Um, Yeah, I don't get it. I saw that Stetson's pulling the hats, and I do not understand what her hat lines all are, but I'm sitting there thinking, I bet New Era, the biggest ball cap maker uh, for sports ball caps, uh, is probably pulled their gear even faster than uh, Stetson, um, given you know how pro sports um, views things like this. Uh, Catherine, yeah. your take on these... Um, just an abomination of class and lack of understanding of history. Well, I have to go with Tim. Like, what what did you think was going to be the reaction? Did you really think that people were going to 
cheer you on. And also, I did read after Sesson backed out of their distribution arrangement, another big hat maker, I can't remember the name of it, also is investigating it and is planning to pull their distribution agreement as well. Um, Shit, crazy. Like, I just, again, it's outrageous. And I'm, I'm mystified like Tim, like what, what were you thinking and how would you not think this was going to be very poorly received? Yeah. Just note to people worldwide, when you're thinking about comparing something to Nazi Germany, odds are it doesn't. I'll give you an example of something that might. Pol Pot and Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, that might compare. You know, that's the kind of thing you're looking at, not telling people to get vaccinated and or wear a mask if they're not vaccinated. Well, we are so excited to um, have joining us for the several times now. Uh, always a treat to have him on. Uh, David Jonas of Political Wire. Welcome, David. I never get here. I never get tired of uh, hearing David Jonas of Political Wire. I, I worked a long time to get to that title, so uh, it's great to be with you. <laughs> Yes, well, you earned it uh, with this. Um, all the the writings you've been doing. Um, you, you were writing the uh, book Spitball. We've had you on a time or two to talk about those chapters, and, and you said you were going to kind of pull away from it. Um, but first off, is there any plans to finish Spitball? Uh, I would say it's extremely unlikely. Uh, you're literally the only person who ever brings it up. Uh, to me. So uh, it's an audience of one so far. But what's really nice is, is so many of those, so much of that book, you know, we, we, we spent a very long time charting out that book and, uh, you know, basically, you know, having all the blueprint for it. And it's really, a lot of politics has kind of played along that. So it's been very easy to go and steal from that and integrate it. So anybody who actually read Spitball, you know, when you read my posts, I've been writing, you know, about four posts a week. Um, you'll just see a lot of themes, a lot of echoes of that, just of the new kind of rules of the game. And so it's it's living on. It's just I think I think uh, political wire readers just want give it to me in 200 words and let me get back to my regular life. And uh, that's a very fun that's very fun to write for. And that's very fun to, uh, to it's a very fun challenge. Well, I'm just going to write my own ending and I'll go ahead and tell you, it'll be happy. Um, it, it'll have Donald Trump no longer winning office for sure in my um, <laughs> fantasy ending to football. You and this I political finish, story you and I we're on. We'll finish it together, <laughs> me and you. Yes. Well, um, let's go ahead and get into some of these writings, and they are incredible. Um, you know, so many things. I know we can't cover them all the rest of the show, but we're going to try to get hit some highlights. And even though it's been a few weeks um, when – Liz Cheney, um, you know, got took her punishment from the Republican Party, and I would say unearned. Um, you know, she is no longer in the leadership of the Republican Party. You penned an article talking about her options for beating Trump. Now, we discussed that uh, a few weeks ago, but we want to hear your take on where does Liz, Liz Cheney go from here in Wyoming and nationally? So it really, it really depends what she wants, right? Uh, a, a lot of people, in uh, if you're a Republican in the era of Trump, you kind of take your anti-Trumpist uh, position and you kind of go on CNN and you become a little bit of a of kind of a beltway sensation and you write books, um, and that's that's fine. Uh, that that certainly helps on the margin, but that really doesn't permeate down. I don't think that really moves any marginal votes. Her her. Second real option is she could run for president or somebody like her could run for president. But again, uh, if Trump runs or a Trump acolyte, somebody like a DeSantis runs in Florida, uh, again, she, she doesn't have much of a chance there. Where she really does have power and she really can exact some measure of control over the Republican Party is if she were to basically start her own party and get on the ballot in a bunch of really important swing states and skimming a few points off of the top. That's that's her. That is her best option. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of Donald Trump's party power comes not because he can expand the party, not because he can win elections, but he can tank that party within a week. And so to have some kind of countervailing pressure and to have your own party and your own capacity to sink off a couple of points, well, that'll cause the party to actually have to 
listen to you, and if not, they lose elections. Yes, I know. As a Democrat, I would love to see her do that, but isn't that essentially being the uh, baby Ruth in the swimming pool? <laughs> Uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a lovely visual image to give me on a Memorial Day weekend, but uh, what, I'll, what I'll say is this. I don't think it's very likely, right? That's a lot of work to basically give Democrats – you know, she's a, she's a Republican. She comes from uh, you know, one of the great Republican dynasties, so the odds of her uh, doing that are very low. Uh, certainly, certainly we, we haven't seen that happen a lot in the past, but that's, that's the – that's what it's going to have to be. That's there's no real, there, there's no real outside of really affecting things on the margin. There's nothing that she herself and kind of her that anti-Trumpist wing, which I guess charitably you could say is maybe five, ten percent of the Republican primary electorate. I think that's being generous. Uh, you know, you, you have to somehow get those people to punch way, 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 way above their weight. And the only real real way to do that is is something of that nature. Maybe there's some other option out there, but it has to be. It has to be potent. It has to be really, really powerful. Yes. Well, another recent article you had, I believe in this past week, was about the vaccination lotteries. But And you can speak to that, but I want to talk about you know, vaccination politics in general. I see they're becoming kind of two Americas, and, um, and it being folks that get vaccinated that believe in science that are going to be – more democratic and people that don't believe in vaccinations that won't get vaccinated and continue to suffer with COVID, um, you know, because and it's going to be, you know, large cities that vote democratic are probably going to handle COVID a lot better than some rural areas where, and probably small towns, I guess, before are going to collect together more uh, because they, they're not as many people vaccinated and they're far, far less likely to get towards herd immunity. Um, if a scenario happens like that, um, what, where does our politics go in 2022? I guess will be our next election cycle. Well, my, my predictions about uh, COVID, and I remember when I had a very sober prediction when people were saying, oh, you know, this will be a four- to six-week lockdown. I said, oh, it'll be much closer to three to four months. Let's, let's take the long view. Well, that wasn't long enough, so – my, my, my predictive skills here are, are probably not great. I do think you're right. I do think that, you know, I'm up here in Northern Virginia, and we're going to get something like 70 to 80 percent, you know, adult vaccination rate. We're going to get pretty close to herd, uh, herd immunity. And, you know, I, I, it's hard to know how that plays out politically, right? Maybe, maybe uh, the overall vaccination rate just drives this thing down, so it becomes kind of like, you know, it, it becomes within the tolerance of death you have with car crashes or with the flu or with other things. But there's also a real possibility that it becomes, I actually think of it more on an economic level, which is you're a company and you're trying to decide where to, you know, you're, you're a Tesla and you want to get out of California for whatever reason. You can go to Texas, um, but you better make sure you go to a part of Texas where people are going to be vaccinated. You know, you're, you're, you're Amazon and you're looking where to go or, you're, you know, you're any certain number of, of tech companies. Uh, are you really going to attract workers and are you really want to go someplace where that, that three, four years down the line, there's another outbreak and you have to shut down for six months. That, that part I think is most interesting to me in terms of politics explicitly. Yeah. I think, I think it's just another driver. I think it's, I think the, the pandemic and Trump, uh, I think they just advanced their politics 10, 15 years in advance. That's why you're seeing Georgia and Arizona start to move and you're starting to see Ohio and Iowa start to move. I mean, it's just, I think politically we're just going to move very, very quickly this decade. And uh, it's going to be fascinating on one level from, you know, we love politics, but I also think it's going to be really, um, I think it's going to be a very, very tough decade for for our politics. Yeah, I think that's interesting what you said about businesses that might choose where to move, and it might even be on COVID. They may say, well, the next thing that happens, exactly. and this bunch exactly. of flat earthers, we want to get away from them. Interesting, sort of related, uh, the Buffalo Bills GM recently said that um, if players don't get vaccinated, it's going to be tougher, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, that makes sense in that if, let's say, Josh Allen, their quarterback, doesn't get vaccinated, they're going to keep him on the roster because he's an all-pro and this, that, and the other. If there's two 
free agent safeties and they're playing about the same and one hasn't been vaccinated and can contact trace, you know, 10 people on the roster and the other one has, that could be the reason they keep that. And then you extrapolate that into other workers where you might know for whatever reason, if you even you can't ask necessarily all the time, you might just start picking the people that have the profile uh, more or less of somebody that's been vaccinated, and that may can be kind of scary, but it, it may happen. Yeah, I, you know, we're just it, it's such a the, the 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 there's there's issue there's there's instances like that, right? Like in sports, where it's like, okay, you'll do anything to avoid a pull hamstring, but you won't get a shot. Um, but, you know, a pulled hamstring and a COVID can take you out for three weeks, if not longer. Uh, yeah, there's that element to it. But there's also the politics of it, right, which is how, how can we say this politely? Um, if you are on the powerful side of an employee relationship or a political relationship, you get to do what you want. Look, half, half of House Republicans aren't vaccinated, or at least they won't go on record saying they're vaccinated. Um, they are encouraged. They, they get a political benefit uh, on the margin from from not being vaccinated, so you know, insofar as uh, our our lives and our instances, you know, you might be in a business where they really really want to get you vaccinated. You might also have a boss who says, "Well, if you get vaccinated, <laughs> you know, you're on Team Blue, and I'm not going to promote a Democrat." You know, they probably won't come out and say that, but uh, you know, the 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 the, the politics of vaccinations are the same politics largely that we've just seen the last four or five years, which is it's very tribal and it's very, uh, it's very hard to, to uh, once people are dug in on that tribal fence, it's really hard to get them out. It's just really hard to get them out of that, that frame. And that's just very, that's just a tough place for our politics to be going. Yeah, and if the contact tracing keeps up, I know most of the schools in Georgia and probably were on the country, if you were contact traced due to COVID, they didn't touch your sick days for most of the school year. I have a feeling moving forward they won't give you that leeway, and that could eat into your sick days pretty quick. Um, well, I, will, I want to ask one related question about that topic with the um, of lotteries, and I want to ask about Governor Mike DeWine. Uh, as far as Republicans go, particularly ones with that profile more than, say, Larry Hogan and um, Charlie Baker, he was pretty um, sound, particularly early on, on his COVID response policy, particularly for a Republican. Um, how has that been impacting him with Ohio Republican primary voters? Well, yeah, first off, yeah, as someone who has rooted against, I mean, how many times has he run statewide in Ohio? I mean, I've probably rooted against him four or five elections at this point. So to see him doing well, you know, relative to the curve uh, on, um, you know, on the lockdowns and now on the vaccination lottery, which I just think has been just a huge success, and he deserves a lot of credit for, for stepping out on that. Uh, you know, when <laughs> it's kind of funny. When he announced it, you know, nationally, I think the, the news was pretty positive about it, but he got slammed in state i mean the republicans i mean i think a lot of republicans already dislike him for you know his, his him being pretty good on lockdown politics and on public health um and i also think that uh, you know democrats didn't like the lottery either because you know they're democratic legislators they want to spend the money they want to spend that on public health or mental health or something else uh you know the data the data shows you know he, he's going to get a hundred you know hundreds of thousands if not more uh, additional people vaccinated. So the cost-benefit analysis for him is through the roof. But, yeah, the, the politics of it, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm one of these people that thinks we're probably going to be in a good place vaccination-wise, uh, you know, public health-wise in a month or two. Right? That's when I'm going to feel comfortable going to stores and um, just getting back to normal life. Uh, but, you know, there are going to be a lot of primaries on the Republican side, especially where – that's going to be the the main issue. It's not even going to be are you pro Trump or anti Trump because all, all of them all pro Trump. They're going to start trying to find wedge issues through vaccination policy and through lockdown policies and all that. And um, you know you already saw. I'm not sure if you caught in Ohio in Idaho, but the lieutenant governor is primarying the sitting governor, and the sitting governor went on a trip somewhere, and lieutenant governor while. Uh, he was gone, uh, assumed the powers of the governor and, uh, you know, withdrew a bunch of the mask mandates. So it's already becoming uh, for for Republicans, especially it was already. But I think it's going to linger into 2022 
it's going to be this kind of legacy, this legacy uh, identity politics type thing. It's just going to be something where you're either with us or against us. And uh, that's, I don't think it's going to cost somebody like DeWine um, trouble, but in Idaho or in some of these other seats, uh, I think it's going to be a real big deal. Yes. Brian Kemp's actually starting to, I think, use it to make amends with the hardcore GOP base in Georgia. Um, well, I'm going to pass this over to Tim, who will pass it to Kat, on to Catherine with some more questions. If it comes back around, I know I've got some more for you. Tim? Uh, good evening, Mr. Jonas. Thank you for being on with us tonight. And I want you to know that I'm a faithful reader of Political Wire and a faithful reader of what you write on there. So uh, oh, that thank being you. said, thank you. Um, one thing you recently wrote was that, that I found interesting was that being shut out of Congress and the presidency will be enough to motivate Republican voters for the midterms. And I got to thinking, well, Donald Trump's not going to be on the ballot. We have a Democratic president in the White House. The country's getting back to normal. People are feeling pretty good. So what will motivate Democratic voters in the midterms, if anything? Yeah, that's that's the million-dollar question because I could literally make a million dollars if I, <laughs> I could be a political uh, consultant and, uh, and sell that. I, I think – I think that the, 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 what will motivate Democrats is very tough to know because, for example, right, I'm up here in Virginia and we have a governor's race coming back up. Um, you know, we have these off-off year governor races. And, mm-hmm. and, so, and so in our area, you know, where, where Trump lost by 10 points, it's just largely going to be about getting the base out. And yeah, you yeah. need to you play to the middle a little bit, but uh, essentially if you can win the base. And so what that's already looking like, and you already seen um, uh, folks uh, campaigns bring this up, which is this guy, Glenn Youngkin, who's the nominee. Oh, this guy's uh, a Trumpist and uh, we can't go back to that. And we just can't go back to the world of uh, having people like Trump and his acolytes in charge. So, uh, I think that's a, a pretty good message. Uh, I just don't know if that's going to reach down to, you know, that second and third tier marginal Democratic voter who uh, who's just very difficult to motivate in general. Uh, you know, I'd have to think a little bit deeply about what that message looks like. I mean, one, I think it's you need to have a little bit of a, um, you know, you, you have to, if you're, uh, you know, team Biden and you're the Democratic uh, Congress, you have to get a lot of stuff done, right? I think there's a certain mm-hmm. element of marginal, especially Democrats a little bit more on my age, who are in their 20s or in their 30s on the younger side. Uh, they'll, they're, they're, they'll, when they turn out, they'll all vote Democratic, but they need to, you know, there has to be something in exchange, right? Like in, in Virginia here, we've we repealed the death penalty, we legalized marijuana, we, uh, you know, we've just done a bunch of things that are going to be very easy when somebody goes and knocks a door and says, oh, uh, yeah, who's this guy, this delegate I've never heard of? Why should I vote for him? Oh, oh, uh, marijuana. Oh, uh, you know, some of these other things, uh, you know, criminal justice reform and health care reform and all these things that we've been able to push. Th- that's just going to motivate that on the margin person. So insofar as I have, uh, th- that's one, el- one side to it. The other one is, you know, the Republicans are just going to overstep and all this culture war stuff. Doc, you've already seen it with Dr. Seuss and critical race mm-hmm. theory and all these issues du jour, which are very powerful. I have no doubt that they can, that those can, that can motivate Republicans, right? They're, they're going to go with the clicks. And if the clicks move people, they're going to show up and vote. But it's also very easy then to turn that into a message where you say, look, these guys are crazy, right? They're going to come in and they're going to start telling teachers what they can teach and what they can't teach. They're going to come in and they're going to start, um, you know, having eighth graders have to read Dr. Seuss and memorize passages, right? You're going to be able to turn that culture war um, stuff back on them. So you have to think a little bit about how to distill that, but uh, it's eminently doable. And uh, especially in states like Virginia, where we're a little bit of a a head start, we're we're going to be just Mm -hmm. fine if we're able to implement that stuff. Down Mm -hmm. in Georgia, uh, you guys probably know better than I what's going to work down there. Right. Uh, well, you know, you know, far and wide across the country, though, 
we're looking toward Washington for the big ideas that that uh, President Biden is promising. And you're a writer who covers the Beltway. It, isn't it just cut and dried that there is no way most of this stuff gets done without the elimination of the filibuster? Well, I guess it depends what your definition of it is, which is to say – Reconciliation, uh, my, my background is in economic policy. When I was in the Senate, uh, I was focused on economic and budget stuff. You know, you can run a lot through reconciliation. You can do climate change through reconciliation. You do infrastructure through reconciliation. You can do health care reform through, through reconciliation. So there is a lot, a lot you can get done. And, in fact, you know, it looks like you know, Schumer got the, the parliamentarian to okay a couple more reconciliation sessions. You know, you, you can run recon- reconciliation a couple more times a year. Well, we'll see about that, but you can get a lot done. Uh, so you, you don't need to get rid of the filibuster to get a lot done, uh, but you do have to get it done, get rid of it if you want to get a lot of bipartisan things done, if you want to do criminal justice reform, if you want to expand voting rights. Um, you know, there, there's just this – I think for a lot of voters, you would be able to show that you got a lot done through reconciliation, but I don't think you'll ever get that fundamental change that fundamental level of progress and the stuff that voters are demanding, uh, I don't think you can get that done in a, fil- in a world with a filibuster. Okay. Now I want to move uh, from the world of the real into the surreal and move all the way across the country. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this utter craziness that's going on in Arizona with cyber ninjas, and I've never heard the like of stuff. Why are the Republicans doing this when, A, it makes them look terrible, and, B, when any finding they claim to produce will carry no legal weight? Why Why are they doing all of this? Well, it's it's win-win for them. They win, you know, how, how, many to- how many years do we have to learn that they don't care when we laugh, when we laugh at them. In fact, we, we laugh at them, but uh, they get a lot of attention. They get a lot of retweets. They get a lot of, uh, you know, th- their message that you don't think of an elephant thing, right? Just by doing this audit, they move that frame um, back towards election security and to voting stuff. So um, they win, they win just from that. Now, they also win because this is a rehearsal, right? This is a rehearsal for stealing an election. And what's great for them in this rehearsal is they can make mistakes and there's no penalty. Oh, okay, so um, this machine broke down or this hand-counting system didn't work or, you know, the reporters figured out that we were doing this and everything like that. But there's no real penalty, right? This is, this is, a, this is an exhibition game. And so, you know, this is... A, it's, it's extremely dangerous, and I know Tegan and I, the political line, have really, really tried hard to cover without drowning people in it. But really trying to, I think we run a story on this basically every day. Um, you know, th- this is the the if not the five alarm, this is the four alarm, uh, you know, bell that's going off here, which is they win because the fact that they can't run this properly to them is proof that nobody can run it properly, right? This is the, the Dunning-Keurig effect in action, which is, wow, um, it turns out audits are really, really hard. Counting votes are really hard. Well, that means we know that when we get an election uh, result we don't like, that means uh, we, can, we, can take, we can say, look, this process is so messed up. Counting votes is so hard. Let's just throw it to the legislature or let's throw it to a couple of judges that we know, um, you know were appointed by Republicans. So. It's win-win for them, and it's really scary. It's really scary. Yep. But these are secured ballots that are being mishandled. Uh, at what point does the government step in, the federal government, the Justice Department, or should they? That is a very good question. I know the DOJ has sent some letters and some inquiries into things because right there's there's a certain amount of federal law that covers ballot integrity you know that actually does say look you can't just uh take people's ballots and just start throwing them in the street after after um, you're done voting and everything like that so um you know it, it would be really great to see uh doj step up on this i'm not sure what what form that could come in uh, i know if i were 
uh, <laughs> if I had any amount of power, I'd probably try to send some folks down there and just just uh, just try to get some boots on the ground. But you know, uh, you have to give Democrats some some credit here. I mean, that's the whole. I mean, that's largely why so many Democrats want to pass the For the People Act and generally want to uh, want to uh, pass some you know election reform bills, which is they see exactly what's coming. I mean, they they just see that right now it's just way way too easy for uh, states to essentially throw out an election they don't like. Worst of all, you know, eventually it gets to the electoral college and it's Congress, and if Republicans control Congress, they can largely, um, you know, they, they can largely um, uh, throw that election, you know, throw the electoral college election as well. So mm-hmm. we need new laws. Oh. We need new laws, and we need better enforcement. But that's uh, that's that's hard. That's hard. It's very hard yeah. stuff. Well, um, uh, a final question about this, and I'm going to avoid Georgia. I'm going to leave that subject to Catherine, who who I'm sure wants to talk about Georgia with you. But I got to ask you: any way, any chance of any normalcy, as long as Donald Trump is anywhere in the picture? Well, again, it, it kind of depends on your uh, on your definition of normalcy. The the fact is, is that we actually got almost a slight glimpse of that world. You know, there was a month or two when Biden came in and Trump was largely off social media. And so that, that window exists. And uh, what, you know, filled up that gap wasn't that much better. So, you know, yeah, there, that world is going to exist whether he's around or not. Um, I, I, I don't know who's staying in power. I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I kind of, I just come from the school of thought of, you know, Trump rode a wave. He didn't make the wave. And so mm-hmm. there is a, as long as it, I, I have been writing about politics for about a decade now, um, as, as much as I can. And the one idea that I keep coming back to is that Republican primary voters control the nation. Wherever they want to take this nation, it largely goes. Now, sometimes the Democrats can get enough voters together and form the right coalition to temporarily get power and try to move the courts back, try to move the laws a little bit in our direction. But Republican primary voters, what they want largely goes in this country, especially when there's a filibuster, because they can just stop whatever they want. Um, and if you think that those fundamental things that they want are going to go away when Trump goes away, I, I just don't buy it. Hmm. Well, and with that, I'm going to send it over to Catherine. Catherine. <laughs> thanks a lot for um, being on the show tonight. We really appreciate it. And thanks, Tim, for actually thank you for lining up. I do want to talk about Georgia, but first I want to ask you about Trump. I mean, is it is there really a scenario can maintain this uh, the level of engagement with his voters if he's not on Twitter, he's not, you know, he's tried to, you know, start whatever his own social media but or platform, but he hasn't succeeded. You know, how does he maintain uh, any kind of influence and importance if he's not out there, like? Is it possible? I mean, it's certainly possible. I think uh, he his power is derived from the fact that he can destroy that – not destroy the party, but he can, he can take a real big shot at it whenever he wants, right? I mean, you know, you all are down in Georgia. Um, I don't know how much you credit that victory. I mean, obviously, you know, all praise to Stacey Abrams and John Ossoff and, and Warnock and, uh, you know, the, the – the whole team that 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 pulled off those two amazing victories, but you got to give a little credit to Trump, who basically was just absolutely just lighting up uh, the Republican leadership in Georgia, or at least parts of it. And so he can knock off a couple of points. And so we've just seen time and time again, it's not so much his influence; it's that nobody wants to take the price, right? Nobody wants to take the hit. You have Liz Cheney stepping yeah. up and saying, "Okay, I'll take a hit." <laughs> they, they just they took her what they gave her what forty eight hours, 
they just kick her out of leadership. So it, it is a it is a kind of prisoner's dilemma where enough of them stood up and said, no, this guy's not going to, you know, this guy. I mean, if, if Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell got in a room tomorrow and said, we're cutting this guy out, they probably could. And it wouldn't matter whether he's on Twitter or not or whether he's on Fox News or whatever the craziest right-wing television is. But nobody wants to take the hit. And it's largely been that way for five, six years. I mean, remember back in 2015 when this guy was running, it's like, okay, somebody's going to nuke this guy. Somebody's going to, you know, used to be pro-choice and used to be a Democrat and used to be, oh, someone's going to light this guy up. Nobody wants to pay the price. Okay, hmm. I, I, I get that. I tend to agree with you. I just, sometimes I just feel like, how can he maintain it? But, and, and I guess the what we have to hope for is that he will grow tired of it, which I don't think he will, but maybe he will. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, okay. I was going to say, well, what do you think? It sounds like you have an answer. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think he could grow tired of it. I think he could, you know, either uh, get tired and uh, not feel well and not have the energy, or he could just be, you know, distracted by some other shiny object and go off and do something different. Um Okay. I, I think so George, I think that he okay, I think that I think political power I you know I think political power is a drug and I think he got hooked. I I, I honest that that's my that's my prognosis. Yeah, I think so too. But he really didn't. Well, I mean that's a long long a long a long conversation. But did he really accomplish anything by his political power? I'm not convinced that he really accomplished anything. He just Stirred everything up, really. Well, what did what? Did I Mitch mean, he McConnell destroyed a lot of things. What is ever? You know, yeah, that's, exactly. That's true. Um, okay, so Georgia. So I just happened to be listening to an interview with Stacey Abrams earlier. It's it's from a while ago with Katie Couric, where she was talking about uh, running for governor or not, and um, and then of course we have this mayor's race in Atlanta. I don't know if you've been following that, but that's gotten a lot of attention lately because our current mayor has decided not to run. And so, you know, some old faces are popping up and then we've got some, you know, uh, new faces that are not new, but that people are on council and are sort of our up and comers who are, you know, uh, Stepping in, so, and I think that whatever happens there is going to have an impact on the governor's race too. I, I just think that every in Georgia, everything's all tied together, and a lot of it is tied together with race. So I just wondered if you had any thoughts about whether you think number one, if you think Stacey's going to run, and if you what if you have followed the mayor's race, what you think uh, the sort of situation is there and how whether you think Kasim is going to run is you know Mary Norwood going to pop her head in there again you know all these you know former players who have been quiet for the last couple of years so what are your thoughts well I think it's very I think it's very generous of you to invite a Virginian on to uh, talk on a Georgia political radio station and ask me my thoughts on Georgia politics because it gets I think that's, uh, well, I heard that you wanted to talk about it, so. Oh, well, let me, let me throw a few because I'm always happy to talk about it. Uh, you know, is she going to run for governor? I would, I would imagine so. I think the, the Democratic Party, we're a very big, complex party, but the one thing we all love is Atlanta. I mean, we love people who go win elections, and we especially love it when they've got a destroying background, or they win the very biggest circumstances. We're having a little bit of we're having a little bit of trouble hearing you. Okay, sorry, sorry. Can you hear me now? Oh, that's better, much better. Yeah. Okay. So, so long story short, Democrats love winners, and uh, winning is self ratifying in the Democratic Party. And Stacey Abrams won, obviously with a lot of help for everybody, but you know she was somebody who she was kind of the national face of this effort in Georgia to turn Georgia blue. So. Insofar as that was successful, uh, inspiring, incredible, she can have any job in politics she wants, right? She has, or at least has the argument to make 
that I can have any job I want. So it's largely what she wants. It sounds like she wants to be governor of Georgia. I think that would be a fantastic job for her. I think she's um, proven that she's got the leadership quality, that she's got the strategic quality. I, you know, I know she's been in the, House, the, the, the state legislature and everything like that. So um, I think she'll run. And I think national Democrats will, even the ones who I think are a little bit skeptical of her, I think every, you know, she, she'll, she'll just be one of the stars of 2022. Now, maybe it's a tough cycle. Maybe it's a tough election. But I suspect she runs. And, um, you know, it, it, we'll have to see where it goes from there. But I, I think the, the, the sky is the limit for her. Um, and uh, in terms of Atlanta politics, I, I would defer to you all. I would just say how, how kind of surprising it was. To, to see mayor to see the mayor resign um and she took a job with well, walgreens you know no she didn't resign and she didn't take she, a job she, with walgreens she just is not running she's filling out her term but she's not running again and so immediately um kasim reed started talking and then uh kwanta hall who served in that uh very brief period in the district five in Congressman Lewis's old district. He served for like two weeks <laughs> between uh, the election. Well, there they, we had to have an election to fill out Congressman Lewis's term, which ended up because we had a runoff. It was only like two weeks, but he was elected to serve for that two weeks. It was crazy. It was a crazy election. Um, yeah, I, so I he just, was. I, I, he, anyway, and he was a former city council member, and he ran for mayor before. Yeah, I, I think you know those of us outside of Georgia, we're just we're just kind of relearning all the players again. So I, you know, that that's, yeah, that's going to be a race that people like me are watching to, you know, especially on the primary side. You know, what kind of Democrat are people looking for these days and everything like that? But beyond that, oh gosh. Uh, you could probably write a book about uh, Atlanta politics in the last decade alone, much less, you know, everything that's going to go into a, a primary and everything like that. So I would say oh, there's to, a really uh, great all... book about there's really great book about Atlanta politics up until about two decades ago called uh, um, where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn. Great book. Um, anyway, um, so then we also have uh, our 22 elect, you know, we have, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene will have to run again, and um, there's a lot of you know rumors about people that might be running against her as a Democrat. And then I think there might be I don't know if there's anybody that are gonna, that's going to run against her in the primary, but um, that's that's going to be I, I mean I, then there's also rumors that she might decide to run for Senate against uh, Reverend Warnock. Because Warnock has to run again now because Johnny Isaacson's term runs out in 2022. So there's a lot going on here, and um, it's just going to be an interesting little whirlwind while we go through the mayor's election and then these um, primaries for the Senate. Have you have you looked at those Senate those Senate that Senate race at all? Sure, sure. You know, I, I, I think, I mean, it sounds like um, people are kind of frozen right now, right? It sounds like there's some amount of wanting to defer to Herschel Walker, which is good for the sports fans and all. My, my mom went to the University of Georgia, so this is great tie-in. <laughs> I don't know uh, <laughs> what in particular, I don't know what in particular makes him uh, qualified for the Senate, but, you know, uh, plenty, plenty of athletes have made, have made that plunge and everything like that, but yeah, it just I'm just kind of shocked that people aren't um, moving as aggressively against Warnock. I mean, you just think that, okay, here's a guy who um, won in a, kind of a, a, a very unusual set of circumstances. Um, this guy is going to be, um, especially in a tough cycle, uh, this guy's going to be easy to pick off. But um, that hasn't I, – he, he – uh, that strength on his is going to going to help you know, every day that he doesn't have a serious contender, as I all as I always say, time's the one thing you can't get back. And if if he's able to, um, you know, kind of hold off or maybe invite a, a you know a, a green uh, to come challenge him, try to get him hurt a run, um, 
that's the, the, every day that goes by where that's the scenario is a good day for him. So um, that's, that's, Oh, I uh, absolutely that, agree. And I don't really think he's going to be that easy to pick off. Honestly, I think he's making a really good um, impression on Georgia. I think, you know, he's been coming back to visit. He's been, in, you know, here in Atlanta. He's also been very visible in Washington and I think he's well-liked by um, Democrats, of course. But I think he's well-liked by uh, moderates as well. He's not, you know, he doesn't appear to, to be, you know, crazy liberal. Um, though I, I think he probably is a lot more liberal than he may um, portray himself. Um, and also he's, you know, the he's the reverend at Ebenezer and, that holds a lot of uh, it's a long legacy and a lot of just automatic respect. So um, it's going to be an interesting uh, lead up into into those primaries and then into the general. We'll be we'll all be we'll all be working on it. I, I'm going to pass this back to David because I think he may have a couple more questions for you before we have to go. Yeah, uh, David, I knew you wanted some information from us about Georgia, and we talked about uh, Reverend Warnock's election, and I think we, our consensus was the trend can get him, but it's not like the Georgia bench um, can have anybody to take him out. Now, one thing I wonder about is, you know, I look at three southern states that all touch each other. I mean, Virginia doesn't touch Georgia, but... Um, Virginia had a trend where in 2008 it went Democratic for the first time in a long time, and um, it's kind of stayed that way. I think there was a governor's race somewhere in there that was a little bit of a blip, uh, but it kept moving more Democratic. North Carolina went Democratic, then flipped back Republican, and it's probably had more Republican wins than Democratic wins, even though they currently have a Democratic governor. Georgia was the slowest of the three states to flip, but right and according to the 2020 election, might be more Democratic than North Carolina. But I worry that Georgia might be more like North Carolina than Virginia and not stay that way. And that may be why Stacey Abrams hasn't gotten in this race, because she's still assessing things. It's kind of like Beto O'Rourke in Texas. Um, they have a high, high national profile that's very positive, but it's not like you can take on a bunch of statewide losses without a statewide win. Um, since you're from Virginia, um, what's your take on that assessment on how uh, Virginia, uh, Georgia, and North Carolina's politics are, um, you know, trajectory? Well, I think you have to be bullish on Georgia uh, because Georgia went blue and North Carolina did. And the fact that it's 2020 and North Carolina's kind of just hovered around that you know, very, very, very slightly tinged red, um, but you've got two two Democratic senators and, uh, you know, Joe Biden wins. I mean, I think you have to be very, very bullish. I think the, the demographics are there. I think the education levels are going to keep going up. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> housing just keeps getting more expensive uh, in certain, you know, East Coast areas. And Georgia's going to look real nice to a lot of people. So I, 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 think, I think you have to be pretty bullish but just 2022 is, I just, maybe it's because, you know, I worked on the Obama campaign in 08 and I came in um, and went and worked in Congress. And my first real, real experience was watching Bob McDonald here in Virginia win by 17 points. And then 2010, watching a bunch of my, uh, you know, my heroes uh, in, in the house in 2010 get, get, get thrown to the curb. So I, I think being out of power is very, very painful. I think you have to, I think you have to bet on the wind being behind Republicans' backs. But I think if you're Stacey Abrams, I think it's a bet worth making because if you win, if you win this in 2022, uh, you're probably going to be president one day or you might be vice president or you're just going to be in that top three or four people who are, are going to talk for another 10, 15 years. That's a race I would make. You don't, you don't want to run so many times that you lose, but, uh, you know, Richard Nixon lost a bunch, <laughs> and uh, Ronald Reagan lost a bunch, and uh, people 
people at the end of the day, I think, get a very good sense of your talent. Elections really do tell us a lot. And when Beto finished close against Ted Cruz, that showed that he really did have potential. And when um, somebody wins or comes close on the margin, uh, you, you want to win. But uh, I, I just think I think Stacey Abrams and her people are going are, are gonna to get in a room and say, well, do you want to be president one day? Uh, if so, you can wait till 2026 or you can find some other thing to do until then. But Governor Stacey Abrams has a real nice ring to it, and uh, this this is doable. It's, it's a winnable race, definitely a winnable race. Yeah, it, it is just it, – it, it, people are beginning to wonder about the timeline, um, and usually you would put a poll in the field, but then polling is um, so hard to understand because – I think your primary polls, you can get pretty good data, but if she runs, she's going to win the primary. I mean, that's a you, you bet the mortgage on Stacey Abrams being able to win a Democratic primary, um, you know, for that race at this point. It's just the general is the, you know, the trickier, um, you know, projection. Well, David, we thank you for coming on. We cannot promote people becoming a member of Political Wire to read both your columns, the special features from Tegan Goddard, and everything else that comes with membership. But if people want to read other things you might have that are not quite the long form, give us some social media handles. Uh, I'm at David T.S. Jonas uh, on Twitter. Uh, Between that and Political Wire, that's that's all you need. Everything else is just pictures of my kids and uh, whatever I'm grilling. Uh, at the time, so you don't need that stuff. Uh, uh, Twitter and uh, Political Wire, I, 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 I try to keep it short to the point and uh, illuminating, so if I see you there, uh, I'm very happy. Okay, well, I tell you what, we're going to hold that right now, but when you know Silicon Valley comes out with scratch and sniff uh, social media, we're going to want to know more about that where we can see that grilling. Um, but right now, we'll be okay without it. But the scratch and sniff, we'll, we'll need it. Um, but, David, yeah, seriously, yeah. thanks for coming in. We know you're going to have more writings in the future, and we're going to invite you back as, as periodically as you'll let us um, invite you. Absolutely. I love being on. I love it. Yes. We love having you. All right. Thanks so much. Good. Have a great weekend, y'all. You too. Thank you. All right. That was uh, David Jonas on this Memorial Day weekend uh, of Political Wire, of the grill, apparently. So I guess that's where he'll be performing possibly tomorrow, this Memorial Day weekend. Um, Next week, we have Dante Cheney coming back for the second time of NBC News data download on MSN. I'm sorry, on um, uh, Meet the Press. So we're excited about having Dante back on next week. And until then, spin the kudzu vine. Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.